Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 19, and uh, we're continuing our series, uh, which is all about knowing the truth, knowing the truth about Jesus. And we have spent an extended time uh, in in this book, and and some who have come during this series are wondering, do do you teach anything other than what's in the gospel of Luke? (laughs) And the answer to that, of course, is yes, and we have multiple series that we have done in the past, but we have spent extended time in here because there's really no greater subject than to talk about who? Jesus. And so there is no greater window into the life of Jesus than in the Gospels, which are basically a a statement about the good news about this one who has come. And and so this morning, as we continue in our series, we come to this place where Jesus is headed toward the reason he came. came. Um, Jesus came uh, to die. He he came to die on our behalf. And, And as we think about that, um, Jesus, in the years before he went to the cross, was preparing people to, to get it. And, and they didn't really get it until after it all happened, but he, he prepared them for understanding it after it did happen. And, and this morning, Jesus really speaks to some people who were assuming some things, but what they were assuming uh, wasn't going to be true. They, they, they didn't really quite get it, and so Jesus told a story. And when Jesus would tell stories, they'd they would be described as parables, and a parable is an earthly story with a what kind of meaning? The heavenly meaning. And so we're going to see that this morning, and as I've read this story multiple times, and as we're going to look at it this morning, I'm going to change kind of my normal pattern of trying to explain or open up the text for us. I'm going to, once I give you the introduction, I'm just going to read through the story, and we're just going to try to understand the story, and then we're going to look at the three simple points that I want to make out of the story. And so I won't be doing it sequentially. We'll look at what Jesus had to say, and then we'll go back and say, well, well so what? Well, what's the real point? And we'll try to make some hopefully helpful, simple points about that. But to start at the, uh, I guess, at the beginning and where we're going to end, Jesus is going to talk about life. And as we think about life, sometimes we can complicate life. Do you ever do that? I mean, I'm... I'm I'm constantly trying to say, how can I make this more simple? I can make this more simple. And not only when I try to get up here, but also any place I am, I, you know, I, I, get, I can complicate things really easily. And, and so Jesus had to bring people back to the main point often because they weren't quite getting it. They were, they were misunderstanding. And, and when we think about life, life, uh, if you were to describe it, how would you describe it? You know, some people might dis- describe it biologically or chemically and in terms of how we function physically to, to exist. But, but life's got to be more than just some physical existence because, you know, we, we think about life. We reflect about life. And, and, and as we think about that, we think there's something greater than just simply being able to move from one point to another point. And, and so Jesus talked about life, and, and I thought we'd just entitle this message, Life Is. Now, we know there's been a lot of great philosophers, theologians that have tried to describe life. And, and, and I bet you some of you even know maybe some of the answers of how people describe life in, in its pointed way. For instance, there was this individual that says, my mom said life was like a box of chocolates. Some of you have seen that movie, 1994. And that person's name was Forrest Gump. And he was played by, by Tom Hanks. And, and the ending of that thing is life is like a box of chocolates. And the answer is that you never know what you're going gonna to get. Any of you found that to be true? <laughs> I mean, I, I think we all agree that, that if we try to project what might happen, and you've done that over a variety of period of times, you haven't always been accurate, right? Ah, this, this is going to happen this year or this week or this month or even tomorrow, and somehow we're so far from what actually does happen. 
And, and so life is like a box of chocolates. You don't always know what you're going to get. And so I decided, well, I'll look at some other people. I don't know who actually said these things, but here's some other word pictures of what life might be like. Life is like a camera. Focus on what is important, capture the good times, and keep taking pictures, you know. Keep living the life you have and, and have a focus and try to have a direction of what you're really doing with your life. Life is like a boat that is without paddles. And then the author of this says, but you do have the option to swim. <laughs> you know, sometimes we think, hey, my life is just sinking. You know, it, I, I can't direct this very well, and I, life is hopeless. And you might have not have your paddles, but you might be able to dog paddle. You might be able to get in the water and swim a little bit, and maybe you got, might get, be able to get from point A to point B. Life is like a book with chapters for each event in your life. And the older we get, we, we can look back, and there's been a lot of chapters in our life. And there were stages. There were, there were life, life places in our life where it was different than it is now. But then the author on that one goes on to say, um, but even though we have many chapters in our life, or what will be in our life, God willing, there's a limited number of pages, so you better write well. Isn't that true? We can look back, and there's some things in our chapters <coughs> that we had more freedom or responsibility to kind of navigate what was being said or what was being written in our lives. And we would like to go back and write a few different things that got on our pages. Life is like a wheel, always turning. Sometimes you're on the top and sometimes you're on the bottom. You guys are a sharp group. <laughs> and, and, of course, in the challenge there, be, be, be careful how you take the next turn, right? And, and sometimes there's things way beyond our ability to... to to control our circumstances, but sometimes we look back and say, well, the reason I'm on the bottom is because I made some choices that got me on the bottom. And so be careful how we take the next turn. Like a, life is like a piano. Each note is in tune or out of tune. And to give one other biblical um, analogy, life is like a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Life is short. Eternity is long. Live in light of that truth. So there's much about life that we could try to put in a, you know, a little trite phrase or cliche or maybe an analogy that makes sense to us and is helpful. Uh, but what did Jesus have to say about life? Well, we're, we're going to see that this morning. And in the context of this is Jesus has been doing a lot of life. And, and people have been watching. They've been listening. They've been, been amazed at, at, this, at this peasant preacher that seems to be changing everything. You know, it, we live in a day and age when uh, health care is pretty important. You know, w whether it's private health care or, or a governmental health care plan, whatever it might be, because it, the prices are going up, and we're all concerned about, you know, if something's going wrong in our body, we, we, we want to get it fixed. And, and Jesus had a health care plan. In fact, actually, it was pretty good when he was here, because if you were sick, all you had to do was find who? Jesus, because he could heal every disease. And, and I, I, I would say we ought to agree. People notice that. Wherever Jesus was, and if you had a need and you could get to Jesus, you could have that need met. And if it was a physical need, he could heal you instantly and completely. And there wasn't any exceptions to that rule. And there were even times where he gave his apostles the opportunity to do the same thing. And when they lived by faith, they could actually perform those miracles. Now, now Jesus left, and after that, that health plan left with him. Because there is no promise now that every disease that comes to a, a person who knows Jesus or doesn't know Jesus and cries out to Jesus, there is no blanket promise that your physical need will be healed or met. But that was a pretty good health care plan, and people were pretty excited about that. 
And not only that, not only did he change people physically, he brought them back to full health, but they, they looked at their lives, their lifestyle. They looked at them spiritually and their character, and, and Jesus changed lives. Now, that plan continues because there are promises about that, that anyone who's in Christ is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. We, we become brand new in Jesus. Now, now, there is that journey of living it out, but any life can be changed spiritually that meets Jesus. And, and, and so as people were watching this, they were just like totally amazed. This is, this is amazing. But, but also they, they, they would scratch their heads and say, you know, I, some of the things that Jesus does doesn't quite totally make sense to me because the people I think he would be more apt to want to help, um, he doesn't always help in the way I, I thought he would help them. And the people that don't deserve his help, he seems like he's helping them all the time. And really, the issue was not whether um, anyone deserves it, but did, did people realize that no one deserved it? And any time we get touched by God, it's, it's out of his grace and mercy. And, and so whether it was the disciples who sometimes could, they could get filled with pride as well, and when they met some children, the children <laughs> came, they, they tried to shoo them away, get them out of, out of the, out beneath all the, the adult things were happening. Jesus said, well, oh, by the way, unless you receive me like a little child, you have none of me. Or, 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 or the rich young ruler came to Jesus, and really, as, as they looked at this rich young ruler, they said, well, he's got to be one of the, the prime prospects for become part of God's little company of people uh, because, number one, he's been prosperous, he's rich, and one, he has responsibilities, he's a ruler. One, everyone likes to be young, and he's young, he accomplishes at an at a early age. Oh, and, and by the way, he, he, he obeys all the commandments. At least he thinks he does. And then Jesus tells them, oh, oh, if you're really going to follow me, you've got to sell everything you have and give to the poor. And they are so shocked by this. They're just, they, they just can't, they can't put this in their mind. So, so they say, well, how, how can this be? It must be then impossible to, to connect with God. And, but he said, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. And you know, most of you have that memorized, right? <laughs> Luke 18, 27, that's our verse for the month, all right? And so, so they're scratching on the head, and then all of a sudden, okay, so the problem is money. If you got money, you, you better run from Jesus because, you know, that's, it's impossible. Then all of a sudden, he runs into a, a, a wee little man, and Bill shared that, that story with us last week. His name is Zacchaeus, and, and Zacchaeus, he, he not only has money, but he got his money all the wrong way. And so they're thinking, this person is not going to receive the grace and mercy of God. But what they had missed is what was happening on the inside of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had come to that point where, unlike the rich young ruler who really felt he deserved Jesus, he realized he didn't deserve Jesus. So Jesus calls him out of a tree, goes to his home, and everything changes. He doesn't ask him to give up his money. But he, but he realizes in his own life that he needs to repay back those whom he is wrong. And his life has changed. So as you're seeing this and hearing this, you're wondering, well, what is the crowd thinking? Well, just in case you don't know the answer, the answer is right in the text that we're going to read this morning. So let's look at it. Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 11. And it says, while they were listening to these things, so they were listening, they were seeing it, if they weren't firsthand observers, they were t- having other people tell them about it, and they're just overwhelmed by what has been happening. And Jesus went on to tell a parable because 
He was near Jerusalem, and here's the key phrase here, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear when? Immediately. So, so they're looking at this, and they're saying, hey, the kingdom is coming. God's rule is at hand. Now, we don't think in terms of a kingdom. You know, we're Americans, or we're, we're living in America, and we don't have a kingdom. Uh, you know, we, we have a, you know, a republic form a government and, and we rejected someone ruling over us in the sense of having absolute power and authority. Um, and, and so we don't get it. And, and so we, and, and in a pluralistic society, we, we, we have expectations of those who are ruling, but we have limited expectations because we realize that there is no perfect ruler out there. So we're hoping the balance of power, since that's, isn't that how our government is set up, supposed to be a power, you know, balance of powers, that we won't do too much bad because there's a balance of powers. But if, if you look at what is the supreme or perfect way to rule is have one righteous, powerful ruler who will always make the right decisions. And so they were looking for that. And in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, a very familiar passage, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. So they were looking forward to this kingdom. And the kingdom is simply a place where someone rules. And it's the kingdom of God who rules. God rules. Okay, that wasn't a trick question. If there's the kingdom of God and the kingdom is rules, who's ruling? God is ruling. And so, so as we think about it, the government's going to rest upon his shoulders. He's going to be in, in power over any human governments. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. And so this one that has been promised to come, he, he's pretty important, isn't he? He's going, to be, he's going to be ruling. He's going to be mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And, and that's the last thing that they'd experienced was peace. They, they, they were under the, the heavy thumb and power of Roman, the Roman Empire, and, and they, they, they desperately wanted peace. And it goes on here. It says, verse 7, There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. So if it starts small, it's going to get bigger. Or if there's a little piece, it's going to be much more peace. And just in case you know, we're not realizing, they're thinking personally about this, on the throne of David and over his kingdom. So they're looking at this personally and ethnically and racially, and they're saying, look, these are the promises God has given us from the very beginning, and now it's about to happen. And when is it going to happen? Do I have to go back and start the sermon all over? Immediately. I mean, it's going to happen right now. I mean, this is awesome. We don't have to wait for tomorrow. It's going to happen immediately. Why? Because the king's here. The mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. I mean, this is awesome. And what's he going to do? He's going to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. If we're going to experience peace, it's going to be a just peace, right? And it's going to be a peace that's where righteousness rules. And how long will this happen? From then on and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So it's not going to be something we have to do. It's something the Lord's going to do. So they're excited about this. And this is the context of the... Well, I'm not going to have time to preach my message. All right. Well, anyway, so this is the context of this message. He, he, you know, all these things have happened. You know, they're just like, they're pumped. And Jesus, you know, Jesus is aware. He, he knows what's going on. He, he's, he, 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 he knows what they're thinking. If they don't say it out loud, they're saying it out loud in their mind. And he, he knows this. They think the kingdom of God is going to happen immediately. So what he does now is he tells a story. Then when you first read the story, you go, well, this is a strange story. But hopefully, 
if I don't waste my time too much, we'll get down what I think is the, is the simple points he's trying to make. Simple, not easy for all of us. So then thinking this, the kingdom of God is going to happen immediately. And so he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom, a ruling for himself, and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. Now I'm going to stop here just for a moment because as he tells this earthly story with a heavenly meaning, this is one of those stories which... Have you ever, you ever heard someone say, have you heard the one about the three uh, sons who, who went into the, they usually, it's usually a, a bar. The three people went to the bar and this, you know. Have you ever heard this one? You ever heard someone talk about that? I don't have any bar stories, so I'm not going to tell you one. But anyway, is that, you know, some people will say, have you heard the one about, okay? Well, this is basically what he's doing here because as he's talking about this nobleman who sets up this kingdom and, go, and then goes away, uh, and gives them responsibilities, they're thinking, oh, hey, th- this kind of just happened for us. Because it, it, as they were under the rule of Rome, and what Rome do, he did, do, did would do, would they, they would set up people to rule in the land. And often they would pick some people that had some kind of connection to the land. And a few years back, they had picked Herod the Great. And Herod the Great was the one, who, the Herod that was around when Jesus was, was arriving on the scene. And, and then he died. And, and what he did is he allowed three of his sons to, to be in charge. And interesting, even when Herod the Great got a kingdom or a rule, and, and he was called King Herod, he could not just take on that title himself. He had to go away to get that kingdom uh, signature. And, and so they, he went to Rome, and Rome said, okay, we'll make you king of this Palestinian area. And so you're going to be King Herod. Now, when he was to die, his sons, he could not... He could not just give it to his sons in terms of a title because that title could only come from Rome. And so you had Herod Philippi and you had Herod Antipas and Archelaus. I can never say that. Well, I'll just say it like I know what I'm saying. Archelaus. Okay, Archelaus was one of the sons. And Archelaus, he, he wanted this kingdom. But he had to go away. He's like the nobleman. had to go away to, to get that kingdom and the right to be that kingdom. But he went to Rome, and he went with all his family, and there's a whole, Josephus talks about this, writes about this. When he went there, he was sure because he brought his mother, he brought his, you know, his wife, he brought his, his kids, he brought, he brought uh, his extended family, and he brought his entourage to impress Rome that, that he could really rule uh, this kingdom that his dad, or this area that his dad and people that his dad had given it to him. But at the same time, what had happened is that people from this territorial area, they weren't too positive about Archelaus. And the reason they weren't too uh, excited about Archelaus because to try to show a, uh, show a force that he could be like Herod, his, his dad, King Herod, is that what he did on Passover is he took 3,000 Jews and he slaughtered them and piled their bodies in the temple. And not only that, he tortured a whole slew of other people because he wanted to show that he was in charge. Well, what they did is they, they sent an entourage of 50 people to Rome as well and said, you can't do this. You can't appoint him as, as king of our land. Well, you know, they were wrestling with this because, well, what are we going to do? Because we think he's really the natural one to do because he's got the heritage of heritage. And so, so they sent him back and said, okay, you can rule, but you can't have the title of king. And, and so they went back. 
And so they're thinking about this story about someone who's in charge or who has nobility in terms of his heritage. And this was kind of making sense in terms of these things kind of happen. When the, when the ruler leaves, he, he leaves you responsibilities, and what are you going to do about it? So, so picking this back up, he said, and he, and he called ten of his slaves, and he, and he gave them ten minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. Now, it, it, depending on what translation you have, it may or may not explain what a mina is. And what, what a mina is, in fact, what, it, what is it in the original language? You know what, what mina, the, the word mina is in the original language? It's mina. Just want, to, just want to impress you with my Greek, all right? It's one of those words. It's not translated. It's transliterated. In other words, it's just brought in from that language into our language. So that doesn't really help us out anything. But what is Amina? Amina was a, was a source of currency. And the Amina was basically three months' wages. And he said, okay, I'm going to leave now. I'm going to give you some... some some money to work with, or I'm going to give you some things to work with, and in my, in, in my absence, I want you to do something with it. He says, I want you to do business. The, the, the word for business is an interesting word. It comes from which we get do something pragmatic. Do something practical with it, okay? Don't, don't take what I give you and just put it on a shelf to look at. I want you to do something practical with it. Do some business with it. And here's where I was explaining before in verse 14. But the citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And so they were thinking, oh, this is just like what happened to Archelaus. And when he returned after receiving the kingdom, and so he didn't receive the title but received the responsibility, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business, what, what practical things they had done. And so as they were thinking about this king that is to come, he's talking about, okay, let's just, let's just talk about how life is right now. How life is right now is that whoever is ruling, you know, you have certain things you can work with, and the issue is what are you doing with what you got? What are you doing with you got, with what you have? It's interesting. Some people write about this passage. They say, well, is he just talking about money here? And in some of your translations, if you have the old King James, it says it's a pound. You get a pound. You wonder, where did, where did they get a pound of that? Because if you put certain meanings together, it came to about 15 ounces. And so 15 ounces is close to how many ounces? 16 ounces. I just wanted to say if you're still listening. Okay, 16 ounces. And 16 ounces is a, it's a pound. So they, they, they take it as a weight measure. And what, what they're saying here is, you know, it, three months wages is like, here, I'm giving you a deposit to work with. And... and it's interesting comparing to some other stories that Jesus told. In, in Matthew 25, he tells the story of the talents, which is also a measure of weight as well. But in that story, he didn't give everyone the same amount. He had 10 slaves here, and he gave away 10 minas. And it's not that each got 10, but each got one mina. So everyone got the same amount. And the challenge is, what are you going to do with what you've been given? This is the deposit. Some say that the mina might even be a representation of the, of the gospel. He's, he's giving to his, his people that are in his kingdom, here's the gospel. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to use it for my kingdom, or are you going to just neglect it and not do anything with it? Some would say this is really what he's talking about in a broader sense. Is each of us, when we're born into this world, we all, we all get at least three things. One is that we, we get certain talents in terms of abilities. Would we all agree with that? Now, all of you are, have many more abilities than I do, okay? But I do at least have one ability, all right? 
And all of us have at least one. And the question that God is saying here, and that story, or Jesus is saying here, and the story here is that, okay, you're all, you're all given a mina. You're all given certain talents and abilities. Now, when I'm, when I'm gone, I want you to use those abilities for my kingdom. So we all have talents in terms of abilities. We also have a certain amount of treasure. Now, you might compare your treasure with somebody else's treasure. Well, that person has a lot more treasure than I have, or they have a lot more money than I have. That's not the point. We all have a certain amount of resources. Would we agree? None of us here have nothing. Otherwise, you'd come here without any clothes on, right? So we all have something. We have talents. We have treasure. And the other thing we all have, and we don't know how much of it we have, we all have time. And some of you have heard that phrase before. Everyone is given time, treasure, and talents. And what he's saying here, and Jesus is blending stories here. He's blending a story that they could relate to because this happened with a man that was over their physical kingdom, Archelaus. But what he was talking about is God over his kingdom in the meantime before that kingdom gets established. And he goes away, and then he's going to come back. And isn't that exactly what Jesus has done? When he went to the cross, died, rose again, appeared for 40 days before all uh, those that he had appointed to see him, teaching them about the kingdom of God, and then he took off. And he hasn't come back yet. And what are you saying here? I've given you all Amina. Every one of us here has Amina. And what do we mean by Amina? It means you've got time, you've got talent, you've got treasure. And the issue is what are you doing with it for God's kingdom? And you don't have to look around and say, well, compared to that person next to me or behind me. No, no, not compared to them. They have different time, talent, and treasure. But we all have time, talent, and treasure. What are you using that what you do have for his kingdom, for his rule, what are you doing to, to share that, that gospel and, and impact and influence others about this, this, this is what life is all about, knowing the one who created you and died for you? So the story goes on, and he tells what happens. Better watch my time. We could just go late, right? We could just go long. No, no. Just kidding. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that those slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him, that he might know what business, what practical things they had done. Verse 16. The first appeared, saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas. Ten minas more. So, so whatever you've given it, I've used it, and, and it's multiplied. And if I'm doing my math right, that, that's a thousand percent return. One became ten. And he said, and well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be an authority over ten cities. And again, I don't want to make this parable, you know, walk on all fours here, but, but he's talking about the future here. And, and when we think about when we get to that place God has prepared for those who know and love him, we call that place heaven. When we're going there is that whatever we do here, it's going to be expressed in eternity. And the little things that we're faithful with now and everything we do in this world compared to what God does is little. But if we're faithful in the little things, God has something for us to do for eternity. We're not going to be sitting on a cloud up there doing nothing. And Jesus said, look, you've been faithful in the little things I've given you. And now I've got more things for you in eternity. And, and then he goes on and says, and he said, well done, good and faithful uh, uh, sir, you've been faithful in a little thing. Verse 18, the second kingdom said, your mina master has, has made five minas, which I guess is about 500%. And he said to him also, and you are to be over five cities. 
And we don't have to be playing comparison games here, but that person has been faithful. And another came to, to the master and said, Master, here, here's your mina, which I kept and put away in a handkerchief. And all of a sudden, you know, stop and what? You, you, you took the time and the talent and the treasure I have and you, you just you wrapped it up and never opened it to use it? And then he tries to explain his, his reasoning. For, for I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man. The original language says you're an austere man. Now, we've, we've all had people that were kind of austere in our, in our lifetimes, right? That, that maybe you're in a position of authority and power, and we go, oh, I'm kind of afraid of that person. And they just, they just you know, whatever. Okay. And so he says, man, you're, a, you're an exacting man. You, you take what you do, did not lay down, and you reap what you did not sow. And he, he said, by your own words, I will judge you. Which is interesting. When we think about the judgment of God upon our life, by our own words and our own life, we're guilty. If we aren't faithful to what God has called us to do, I mean, whatever standard, even our own standard, we don't measure up to. I would have collected, then, then why I, you did not put my money in the bank and having come, I would have at least have collected some kind of interest. Then he said to the bystanders, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. Well, what are you doing? He he already has enough. But the Bible says, you know, if you're faithful in a few things, God's going to reward you in many ways. And this is a hard word from Jesus, but if we're not faithful with the little we've got, he's going to give it to others who even have much more. Verse 26, I tell you that everyone who has more shall be given, but from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. This is one of those stories that, that Jesus mixes, I don't know if this is the right way to say, mixes metaphors. He, he talks about Archelaus. But then he puts a bigger spin on it when he really talks about his rule and his reign. And what he's saying, you've had the experience of having a ruler over you who oppressed you and gave you responsibilities, and you really didn't receive reward, and all you got was judgment. But I wanted to say that the kingdom of God is somewhat like that in the sense that unlike having an unrighteous ruler, you're going to have a righteous ruler, but he's going to hold all of us to an account. And those who refuse to respond to what God freely offers, there's judgment. I guess in a creative way, what we're having in the story is that the Bible is very, very clear about heaven. There's a heaven, but there's also a what? There's a hell. There's, there's a place of reward, but there's also a place of judgment. And, and really what what Jesus is saying in this powerful story, who, who's responding to people who wanted a temporal kingdom now. And he's saying, you're, you're thinking way too small. They, they, could, they could have had peace with 
as long as there's a kingdom for me now that I'll be satisfied, why would you settle for a kingdom now for a short period of time when you can have a kingdom for forever? So how would I, how would I draw these things to a point this morning for me and for you? First of all, I included the verse before the passage, okay? This passage is in verses 11 through 27. But before, before verse 11 is verse what? 10. Very good class. And then Jesus puts it pretty plain. Well, you know, why did Jesus come? For the Son of Man has come to seek and to say that which was what? Lost. And really what, is, what he was saying to the whole world then, he was saying to the whole world now, we come into this world lost, and Jesus came to find us. And he's, he's the one who is the nobleman who comes to, to give us what we need. And then he says, now use it. Take this gospel and apply it to your own life and then live it out for others. So what is, what is life? I, I would take from this passage, here, here are a few simple things you could take away with. What is life? Life is a trust. And, and obviously you can see that. The nobleman gave meanness, gave time, talent, treasure, gave resources, whatever, however you want to take this. He gave them, entrusted them to do something with what he gave them. I don't think it's much of a leap to say that's true for every one of us here. And we need to realize in the end we're we're all going to be held to an account with what God has given us. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and I'll, I'll resist the temptation to teach the passage, but just to read the passage. Let a man regard us in this manner, this is Paul talking about himself, as servants of Christ. So we're called to serve the master and stewards of the mysteries of God. God has given us something that we are held to be responsible for. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found, what? Trustworthy. So as we think about, it kind of connects the two words together, isn't it? We, what is life? It's a trust. It's a trust that God has given us. And what does he want us to do with that trust? Simply be trust. What? Worthy. That's a challenge for all of us, right? Just whatever God has given you, just hold it in trust and then use it in trust and be trustworthy with it. And hopefully you can think through the applications and implications of that. What are we doing with the time, talent, treasure God has given us? Are we using it to invest in what God wants us to invest in? But life is not only a trust, life is a test. The first Corinthians 3 passage 10 through 15 really speaks about that there's only one foundation that can be laid in a relationship with God, and that's the foundation that's laid by Jesus Christ. And our life, as we live it, are, is lived out in, in the end, and at the end it'll be evaluated. Some of it's gold, silver, and precious stones. He uses metaphors here, and some of it's wood, hay, and stubble, and some of it's going to be just burned up because it was, it was just useless. It might not have been evil or wrong. It just didn't have any, have any profit for God's kingdom. And, and then gold, silver, and stones is what God wants us to live that count for eternity. None of us really t- like to take a test, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 13 and 5, here's a test we all need to take. Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourself. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? It's a test that, that we don't want to fail. And it's a, it's a test that, that God is offering with grace and mercy. It's not, nothing any of us deserve, but if we embrace it by faith and say, here's my life, take it. Forgive it and then use it. 
That's how you pass the test. I believe it. I trust it. I give my life to you. But inherent in that, then use my life. Use my life for you. Life's a trust. Life's a test. And because I need another T, um, life is a time. It's a time to be graded. And this is the other side of it. it uh, usually if you take a test, eventually it gets graded, right? You know, pass your blue books to the person next to you and let's, let's see what, what grade you get. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10 says, Therefore also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, where we get our grade, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So our life is going to be graded. It's not going to be graded by comparison, you know, to the person next to us or behind us or in front of us. It's, it's going to be graded at, well, what have you done with what I have given you? Has it been used for that which is good or is it just worthless? You think, well, what is it, God, what is it that God is impressed with? I, I throw this in passage just to be very practical with this. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. You were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. And there's a number of different word objects in there, but if I were to summarize 2 Peter, 1 Peter 3, 8, 9, this, you have been blessed. Now go out and be a blessing. And there's some very specific ways. When, 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 when we respond like so natural respond, if someone insults us, we want to what? We want to insult them back. In fact, I like to insult them back better, okay? You know, is that we all, you know, we always, we all want to do our thing. And what, what God is saying, look at, don't live that way. You've been rescued now. Live like you've been rescued. Be gracious and kind and tenderhearted and loving and supportive. And even if you're not a Stephen minister, you can be a good listener and you can share the good news with others. So what's the so what? Not how are you living, how are we living? Are we living life as it's meant to be left? Realize it's a trust, it's a test. And there's going to be a time where we're going to be graded. And, and, and the good news about this is that Jesus wants you to get a good grade at the end of the semester. He's, he's, not, he don't, he's not wanting you to fail. He wants you to, to pass and, and get a good grade. And that's a matter of the heart.